Good morning, everybody. I'm really glad to, uh, to see you. We're glad to have you guys here. We're glad that we've gathered together to hear about Jesus and to proclaim Jesus to one another. If you don't know me, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church. And this morning, I'll be talking about the vision of Redemption Church as we're in the middle of our purpose, vision, and mission series. Um, but before we get started, would you just pray with me? Our Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for um, gathering us together under the name of Jesus Christ, who's made a way for us to be in right relationship with you, who's made a way for us to know you as our Father, who's made a way for us to to receive and know your great love for us. I pray, Father, that this morning as, as the band has sung, as we speak for the next few minutes and we'll sing again, we take communion that everything we do would point to Christ, that everything that we would do would remind us of the gospel that you love us and that you've made a way for us to be in right relationship with you. I pray that you would have said what you would say and that you would have us hear what you would have each one of us hear. And I pray, just like the song we just sang, that you would open our eyes to see as you see and that you let faith arise in us today. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, last week, Reggie uh, kicked off our Purpose, Vision, and Mission series by talking about our purpose at Redemption Church, uh, and, and we, we're calling this series Saturate, uh, which we're going to start getting into a little bit today is why we're calling it that. But my job, like I said, is to talk about the vision of Redemption Church today. And so basically, I'm just asking this question. In light of our being called by the gospel into right relationship with God, and gathered into community, and then scattered together on mission... What do we want to see happen? What's our goal? What's the big picture? Now, I have to be honest with you, as I prepared for coming this week to speak about vision, I kind of encountered a little bit of tension. I encountered a little bit of difficulty as I got ready for it. And I think it's just because of this. It's just that we've all sat through like a vision Sunday or or at least a sales pitch, right? Uh, We've all sat through... Uh, the thing where somebody wants us to jump on board with their thing and give ourselves to fulfilling their dreams and their aspirations. You know, the idea is that if, when we cast vision, is that if I can cast a big enough vision toward reaching our city and reaching the globe, uh, then you'll all be convinced that things really aren't as they should be, um, but that together we can fix things. And uh, maybe you'll jump on board with us and we can all be heroes together. And a bonus is we could, get, we could do some really big stuff for God, right? That's just what was at least the tension that was kind of coming up in me and that I was feeling is that, and it just felt, I felt uneasy with that. And I felt a little, it just felt disingenuous. And so I, just, I guess I feel like that gigs up. Like nobody wants to be sold the thing and nobody wants to jump on board with my thing and that's probably a good thing. Uh, but... I think that many of us do share a sense that we really should be reaching the city and be reaching the globe with the gospel. I don't really think that any of us really doubt that we should be doing that, though I'm not really sure how much we believe that we can reach our city and that we can reach the globe with the gospel. And even if we should, and even if it is possible, it would really take everything from every Christian to make that happen. And honestly, for me, and I'm guessing maybe even for you, sometimes I'm not always sure that there's enough reward in it for me to rearrange my whole life toward reaching the city and the globe. 
If we're to get really honest, I'm just not sure that we really care enough to make that happen. And that's not a guilt trip. I mean, I get it. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm not sure that there's always enough reward in it for me. I'm not seeing that I see that there's enough in it for me for me to rearrange everything to reach people in Grovetown or Aiken or wherever. People I may not even know. So while we know we should reach people with the gospel, the question I guess I'm asking is what real reason do we have to put any skin in the game other than just dutiful obedience because we call ourselves Christians? So like I said, last week Reggie unpacked the book of Habakkuk. And today I want to share a bit of my story with the book of Habakkuk and uh, with this particular book of the Bible. Uh, first off, though, as Reggie pointed out last week, in the book of Habakkuk, we see God working on the larger scale, dealing with the nation of Israel by disciplining his people for their sin so that they might be drawn back to him for their own good, for their own salvation. And then God is also working on a smaller scale in the book of Habakkuk. It's God was working to change the heart of Habakkuk himself, drawing him to faith for God's own glory and for Habakkuk's joy. In both cases, God is working towards the same end. We talked a little bit about this last week, but in both cases, God is working towards the same end, which we see in Habakkuk 2.14, which is where we're getting this whole saturate uh, lingo language from, even though it actually doesn't say the word saturate. We'll get there. Chapter 2, verse 14 in Habakkuk. If you don't know where it is, it's in the Minor Prophets, which is after all the really book, big books in the Old Testament. Then there's like a lot of small books. And if you can like hunt it down, it's right after Nahum and right before Zephaniah. And there's like two pages in most Bibles, probably. It's three chapters. But in Habakkuk 2.14, it just says this. For the earth, this is God speaking to Habakkuk. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So whatever God's doing on the large scale, scale and whatever God is doing on the small scale, he's doing both towards this end. He's letting Habakkuk in on the work that he's doing, and he says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what we're calling saturation, right? Is that everything will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. God is saturating the earth with the knowledge of his glory. This is the work that God's been up to since the beginning. That's what Reggie kind of showed us last week, that this is the work that God's always been up to. It's what he's up to in the book of Habakkuk, both on the large scale and on the small scale. It's what God is up to when he sends Jesus Christ into the world to live, to die, to be buried, to come to life, and to send to the right hand of the Father. He did that to make God known, to make himself known, and for his glory to be made known. And this is the same work that he's up to in me, and in you, and in the church that he established. But it's God's work. It's his work. He's doing it, and he will complete it. He's going to finish that work. But it's the, it's the way, what I kind of want to get at this morning is, I want to talk a little bit about that smaller scale. It's the way that God deals with Habakkuk in order to change his heart that has had the most profound impact on my story and on my heart. And that's what I just kind of want to share with you a little bit this morning. When I was younger, like uh, when I was probably like late teenager, I don't know, 17, 18, somewhere like that, I heard a message from John Piper. Maybe you're familiar with him. Uh, and he spoke on Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. And he said, 
in that message that he and his wife had written this verse, this passage over their marriage, right? And this message just had a really big impact on me, to say the least. And uh, let me just read it for you. It says this, in Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. This is how the book ends, and it's a song of praise. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The, clock, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, and he makes me tread on my high places. Well, this message and this passage had a a big impact on me, like I said, and I knew that I wanted to write the same scripture over my marriage. It's probably due to some past family experiences, some marriages gone bad in my family, uh, but I just knew that I wanted to be committed, even through the tough times, to God and to, to each other, and just to remember that we find joy in our God and in his salvation for us. So it's just something that we wanted to cling to, and so we we did. We wrote that over our marriage at our wedding. It was over 14 years ago. We wrote that passage over our marriage. We got married really young. Uh, I was young, and I had this crazy idea that God wanted me to do really big things for him, right? I was a bit of a dreamer. I probably still am. But uh, I had this idea that God wanted me to do really big things for him, that God had big plans for me, that he had something special for me to do, and he wanted me to do big stuff towards reaching the city, towards reaching the ends of the earth, and and towards uh, saturating the whole earth with his glory. And I started to cling to this passage, and I kept remembering this passage, and as I pursued big dreams and big ideas in my 20s, I can't even go into it all right now, I just pursued really dumb things, right? And, uh, but if you want to hear about it later, you can always come talk to me and we can talk more about it. But as I pursued those big ideas and those big dreams in my 20s, I cling to this passage. And every time things seem to get tough, because honestly, I brought a lot of tough situations on myself, but every time something, things seemed to get tough, I would read into this passage as I remembered it again and again. And this is what I read into it, that even when things were tough, God was good. And somehow, this is the messed up part, I think, somehow the fact that things were tough meant that I was on the right track that I was doing a good thing for God, right? Now, you guys are probably all thinking that I'm a really bad person or something. I, I hope not. But anyways, uh, yeah, just I, that's what I read into it. I, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew that I needed to accomplish some big things. I had big dreams. And when I pursued those and the things weren't going right, I would remember this passage and say, well, things are bound to get tough if I'm doing things for God. And so obviously, I'm on the right track. But there's a side note here I just want to say. Be careful when you read the Bible and find little bits and pieces to cling to. There's a great temptation to read our desires into the text, and it's easily done when we neglect to consistently check it and check back against, uh, or check our interpretations of Scripture against the whole of Scripture. I know that because I'm guilty of it in this particular instance, especially. But anyways, eventually my plans, all the things that I was building, started crumbling down. Uh, things really fell apart for me and for Claire and for us. And uh, when, it, when it all fell apart, I finally began to come to the end of myself. Do you remember the gospel principle? Some of you may have been here. We talked in the Sermon on the Mount. We, we, we had this gospel principle that we stated a few times in the last chapter. Um, that Jesus means to undo you 
and rebuild you again in his image. Jesus means to undo you and rebuild you again in his image. And because I had gone back to this passage so often when everything was falling apart, I remembered Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. It was this passage that had reminded me that even when everything was falling apart, I should have joy. And here's what happened. I realized as I was going back over it that I really didn't have much joy. And I really didn't know what was going on. So I went back and I read the whole book and I just spent some time in Habakkuk. And here's the thing that really gripped me and it was just totally unexpected. It just kind of jumped out at me and took me throughout the book. And I I had to stay here for quite a while and, and kind of wrestle with it. It was how God fathered Habakkuk to change his heart. It was this small scale thing that's happening in Habakkuk where God's working to change Habakkuk's heart personally. And it just got me just totally unexpected as I read through the book and really got context. I saw how God sort of fathered Habakkuk to change his heart, how he proved himself to Habakkuk as good and faithful and loving. See, God didn't have to, but he listened to Habakkuk's complaints and protests twice at the beginning of this, this story. And he didn't have to, but instead of, list, instead of listening and then just shutting him up or not saying anything back, God let Habakkuk in on what he was doing like a dad brings his child in on his work so that he can shape them well. That's the thing that really stuck out to me, right? Like Habakkuk's complaining and protesting and God listens. And instead of just not saying anything or just shutting him up and putting him in his place, he just brings him in on what he's doing. And it just reminded me of like how a father would bring his child in on his work so that he can shape and mold him well. In Habakkuk 1.5, this is after Habakkuk's first complaint, God answers him and says, which the fact that he answers is ridiculous, right? He's always answering through scripture. If we just got that, that he answers us, it would probably change us. But chapter 1, verse 5, he says, he's bringing Habakkuk in, and he says, look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. See, he gives Habakkuk a perspective that he couldn't see on his own. We just kind of sang that prayer, right? Open my eyes to see as you see. Well, that's what we see God doing with Habakkuk right here. He gives him a perspective that he couldn't see on his own so that he might know what God is up to and find joy. I kind of think of like when I go to the zoo with my kids, Jack loves to get on my shoulders and he'll get on my shoulders to look above the people in front of us so that he can see the animals, right? And I mean, he loves animals. Every night before we go to bed, Jack wants to talk about the animals. Hey, Dad, what does the the panda eat? Well, he eats bamboo. And he'll just name all the things that the the animals eat. I mean, he's wrong on a lot of them. But anyways, he loves animals. But in the moment, like, he loves seeing the animals, but he, man, I become his favorite person, right? Because I lifted him up to see from a different perspective where he could enjoy and find joy in the things that he loves. But as I read Habakkuk, just moving on, as I read Habakkuk through again, I was gripped by how God seemed to be fathering Habakkuk from a heart of protest to praise. That's what I think we see happening on a smaller scale in the book of Habakkuk. And I began to realize that I had been working for the approval of others, like all the big dreams and all the big stuff that I wanted to do. I had been working for the approval of others, that I had been working for the approval of God, 
and that I was working hard to get somebody to fill a void that was left in me that I had covered up for a long time. Now, it was that feeling that God wanted me to do big things for him. It was coming from a place of, of me wanting to feel special, of me wanting to have a sense that I had to do, I just had a sense that I had to do something exceptional to be really valued, right? And it's a little hard to admit, especially like up here in front of everybody. It makes me feel a little bit silly, to be honest, but I want us to practice being a little bit vulnerable, so I'm going to just, I'll do that. I was working hard to find a father who loved me. Some of you may know that I've never met my, my biological father. I've shared that before. And I grew up with my mom or my grandma, just depending on the times of my life or times of my childhood. But somewhere along the way, I just kind of learned to, like, push down whatever that... Like, we've all had... Lots of people have had rough childhoods. I don't, I don't have the r- roughest, but there was feelings about that that were, like, bottled up in me and that I was pushing down and dealing with. And somewhere along the way, I just learned to muscle through life. But I started to realize that I wasn't experiencing any real joy because everything I was doing was in pursuit of stopping that hurt or at least keeping it from bubbling up and affecting anything in my life. I know this is all over the place. This is just my story with this book, and it changed me. In this song that Habakkuk sings in the last chapter of Habakkuk, from a heart of praise, he writes this. It's Habakkuk 3, 12 through 13. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. And that became so real for me as I went through this and read it several times. I saw God fathering him, and then there was no better place to see how God loves than this. And it became so real to me And it's what I really want us to hear out of this whole story. This side of the cross of Jesus Christ, we've seen that this is truly the God we serve, right? He's a God who loves us more passionately than we can comprehend. He's gone out for the salvation of his people. We're not just talking about wrecking the Babylonians anymore and like punishing them. We're talking about sending his own son to earth and going out for the salvation of his people with his own life. He crushed our adversary. And Jesus is coming and living and being persecuted and paying our debt on the cross. There's nothing that can hold us in exile from our Father. He's shown us that he loves us and he values us more than we can fathom. I think that if we even begin to understand it, all of the sorrows that we have will begin to be redeemed and turned into shouts of praise. That's what's happening in Habakkuk, Habakkuk to Habakkuk. As he's going from a place of protest and complaint and hurts and confusion to a place of praise. And God redeems his heart and turns him around. In light of this passage and the realization that Jesus had demonstrated this fully already, um, for me, the weight of the world just kind of got lifted. I felt like I believed in a whole new way, honestly. I believed that I was loved, that my father loved me, that he was going before me and after me and all around me, that he was always at work for the hearts of his children, and that meant me, and that he loved me, and just like he hemmed me in with his love, and there was nowhere I could run from it, and that there's nothing he needs for me to do for him. What a relief that I can't dream a dream big enough 
What a relief that I can't have a vision big enough to accomplish a task large enough to please him. That's a, for me, that's a huge relief. And so here I am talking about vision, and I haven't really talked about vision, right? But what a relief that I can't dream a dream big enough or accomplish a task large enough to please him. He loves me. He's hemmed me in with his love. There's nowhere I can go from it. He's pleased with me being his child. He's pleased that I'm his. And he lets me and he lets you in on his work because he's a really good dad. I just want to say that God loves you like that. Christian, non-Christian, we all need to hear that. God loves you like that. He's gone before you. He's gone behind you. And he's at work all around you. He's hemming you in with his love. He isn't calling you or I or us to accomplish something for him so that, he can, so that we can be a part of his family. He's calling you to see how great his love is for you and for me and for us and just to be astonished by his glory and his greatness. What I've come to see in the broader vision of reaching our whole city that's, it's good, it's valid. I mean, it's, it's what God is up to. He's saturating the whole earth with his glory. It's, what, it's the work that he's already about. But it's exactly that, right? It's the work that God is already doing. And he doesn't need us to dream a big dream. And he doesn't need us to come with a, up with a bigger, better vision so that we can finally come up with the right program as a church that finally reaches our city. Like, <laughs> That's what we do as churches often, I think, is we fall into like, man, we really, we know that we're called to do this. We really should be reaching our city. We're not sure if we can, but if we could just concoct the right thing, we would reach everybody. He's not calling us to come up with the right thing to finally be the hero in his plan and do this for him. What he wants is to let us in on and to give us vision for his work of gospel saturation so that our own hearts will be saturated by the gospel. Completely able to trust and obey him because our hearts are transformed like Habakkuk's from a place of protest to praise. Listen, God is saturating the whole earth with the knowledge of his glory by saturating individual hearts with the knowledge of his glory. God's saturating the world by saturating hearts with the gospel. And God's going to complete his work. I'm going to share just a couple verses with you. Listen to this invitation and promise in Isaiah 45, 22 through 23. It says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, for my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. And then again in Philippians 2, 10 through 11, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you hear the language of saturation in there? In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, everything is just going to be slapped full of the gospel, of the knowledge of the glory of God. God's going to complete his work. He's already promised that in scripture. Like we've seen it. He's always been up to this. That's what he's up to in us. And that's what he's going to finish. That's the work he's going to finish. God will complete his work of saturating the whole earth with his glory. There's no question about that. He doesn't need us to come up with the program to make it happen. 
It happens. His work will unfold and will be completed as he changes, as he changes hearts and minds to know him and to love him and to submit all areas of life to him so that they are so saturated with the gospel that it just comes spilling out of each one of us, right? To know God is to have tasted and seen that he's good. To know God, it is to experience and be transformed by his love for you. To know God, it is to wholly have freedom to lay your whole life in his hands because he's proven himself trustworthy. If we know God, we know that he's good. We know that he's loving. We know that he's capable. We know that he's powerful. And we know his promises are good, that he's going to make good on them. And we can trust him and that we will come to realize that he's far more trustworthy with our life than any one of us would be. And so it becomes natural to begin to submit all of our life to him because he knows what's best for us and he's totally capable in giving us what's best for us. When you trust that he knows what's best, you can trust enough to obey. And I just want to be really clear, obeying God doesn't just mean not doing certain things, right? Obeying God will mean doing something. And in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's a pretty popular scripture. It's called the Great Commission. And it's the last thing that Jesus leaves us with in the book of Matthew, leaves his disciples with in the book of Matthew. It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So the last thing he tells the disciples to do is to make disciples. Here's the thing. Everything that Jesus tells his disciples to do, that he tells us to do, is good. And it's good for them, and it's good for us. When he brings them in on his work of saturating the whole earth with his glory by leading them to lead others to Jesus and to follow him, he does that because it's good for them. He's bringing us in on his work of leading people to Jesus, who lead people to Jesus. That's our vision statement at Redemption Church. He's bringing us in on that work of leading people to Jesus, who lead people to Jesus, of saturating the whole world with his glory because it's, it's good for us. I think we miss that. I think that we often think that it's something we're supposed to do. It's out of dutiful obedience. We're supposed to go and give tracts to people or say, proclaim the gospel in some way, shape, or form. We're supposed to lead people to Jesus because we're just supposed to. But he doesn't tell us to do it just because we're supposed to do it. He tells us to do it because it's good for us. That doing that will make our joy more full as we see his work all around us and actually get to participate with with our Father in what he's doing. The vision statement of Redemption Church, like I said, is leading people to Jesus who lead people to Jesus. And our broader vision at Redemption Church is to see what we call missional communities, as Brent just announced those at the beginning. Our broader vision is to see that those missional communities grow as disciples on mission together in their neighborhoods all across the city. And we want to see those replicate as they lead people to Jesus who lead people to Jesus. What I mean by that is that we want to see new believers 
coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior through these groups. We want them to be led to increasingly submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what we keep saying discipleship is, so I'm just going to keep saying that, that sentence over and over again. We want new believers to come to Christ, and we want them to be led to increasingly submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. And we want them to come in on that work with us in reaching others. That's the broader vision. We want to see churches planted where there need to be churches planted. We want to see churches merge where churches need to merge. We want to see the gospel saturate the whole central Savannah River area, the CSRA. We want to see not just Augusta, but Evans, Grovetown, Aiken, everywhere, Edgefield, Hepsiba, Waynesboro, the whole CSRA, so that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunity to respond to the gospel. And we want to take part in it however God allows us. And you know that we've been praying these prayers week in and week out. God, just let us see the gospel advance in our city. Would we be able to see 100 people become, come to know you? Would we be able to replicate missional communities? All those prayers are towards, towards this, that we want to see every man, woman, and child have repeated opportunities to respond to the gospel. And we want to be a part of it and however God allows us. And we want you to be a part of it. But... I really just don't want to call you to rearrange all of life towards that end this morning. That is the broader vision of Redemption Church, but I think it's the wrong thing just to ask you to rearrange your whole life so that we can reach the whole city and the whole world. I don't think you really have reason to if it's only about reaching others. What I do want to do is to tell you the good news. Jesus came and has made God known to us. And God is good, and he loves you, and he loves me. He loves each one of us passionately. He loves us furiously. The idea that he comes down with a sword and would go out for our salvation, that he would go to the cross and die a death for us, that's a love more passionately and more furious than we can even begin to comprehend. And here's the thing. I don't know what hurts each and every one of you in the room have, but I know that this is a broken world full of hurt. For some, you've probably been hurt by a father or a mother, a grandparent, or some other family of some sort. Others have experienced rejection from a friend or a romantic interest, maybe. Some have lost loved ones, and your heart aches and mourns every day and misses them deeply. Some are scared. Some are scared because of the hurts of the past or the hurts that are all around us. We're scared that it's coming for us. And physically or emotionally, we suffer every day in fear that something bad is heading our way. I think some feel belittled, some feel worthless, some feel despised, some feel disposable. Some of us just want without end. We just want things without end. We can't find a way to be content. We want cars or houses or better jobs or cooler friends. We want sex. We want fame. We want all the glory. We want status. And we wish we could be content with who we are, but we just can't nail it down no matter what we attain. Some people are oppressed. Some have experienced violence in war or in your home or in a bar or on a street or in your family wherever it may be. It's always you against the world. 
It's always us versus them, and we have to finish on top, but none of us can, and it feels bleak. There's a lot of hurt. This is a broken world, and there's hurt everywhere. And it may sound far-fetched, and I think it really is quite unbelievable, and you probably are expecting me to say this, but that's okay. The answer to all of our brokenness is found in Jesus. I'm telling you, the answer to all of our brokenness is found in Jesus. In and through him, we find peace, we find harmony, we find value, we find love beyond understanding. We find joy, contentment, the ability to love, the ability to trust. We find the ability to empower and encourage others without a threat to ourselves. We feel like we have, we have more time, real life, abundant life. It's life that's found beyond the collections of things and titles and accomplishments. Life that comes from being who you were made to be, an image bearer of God and a child of God. I don't know what to tell you. I know that that's just the answer. I know I just said there's a lot of hurt and that Jesus is the answer and he makes things better. And I don't know what to tell you except for that that's my story. Like he changed me and he actually, I mean, he saved me long before this story, honestly, but he was working in me that whole time. But he spoke to me through Habakkuk. Like he led me to him through Habakkuk. I once was fatherless and his love rescued me. And it completely changed my heart. It took a hurt that I was just trying to push away and not deal with and it was wrecking a lot of things and I just didn't know it and he rescued me and it wasn't just in the moment that I realized how great his love for me that's not the only time he rescued me he was loving me but it's not the only time he loved me he was loving me all the way to the end of myself so that he could rebuild me into his image and I know that he loves you like that and I know that Jesus is the answer for the hurt and the brokenness in the world and in your life so, while I'm not calling us to rearrange everything towards reaching the whole CSRA this morning, even though that is the broader vision of Redemption Church, I will ask you to rearrange your whole life in submission to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced, as, I'm convinced that as each of us are genuinely led to submit all the areas of our life to Jesus, we'll lead others to Jesus. And God will bring us into the work that he's already doing for his glory, and we'll find that it's for our own joy. You know what? This week, or actually it was a few weeks ago, I think, a couple weeks, Brent came into the office just going on and on about this cell phone contract he had gotten, like this great deal he got on his new cell phone, which, I mean, I was not convinced because I feel like I have a pretty good deal. But anyways, and I thought he, he should have just had like a tattoo on his head when he came in because it's all he was talking about. He was going on and on and on about it, and it was great. I mean, I'm really happy for you, Brent. But uh, <laughs> he knew that I was going to tell you that. But listen, when we get a hold of something good, when something good happens to us, we go and rave about it. I mean, some of us would tattoo ourselves with somebody's logo because we like the product so much. When we find something good that we really like, that we feel like has changed some stuff for us, especially if it saved us some money, we're going to tell the people that, we, that we're close to. We're going to let them in on that secret. And I know that Jesus is better news than a cell phone contract. So I don't want to call us to rearrange all of life to reach in the CSRA because I don't think we have reason to do that unless we see that Jesus is saturating our own hearts. I want us then to rearrange all of our life to submitting all areas of life to Jesus. Because I'm telling you, he's good. 
And I believe that as we see that he's good, we'll tell others. That's just the way we are. Here's what I want you to do today and through this week. Next week, Brent's going to share uh, some very specific ways in which we would call you at Redemption Church to rearrange your life in submission to Jesus. Right? And this week, I just want to call you to spend some time each day in prayer and in Scripture. Set aside some time. If, if you're not already doing it, do it this week. Set aside some time each day in prayer and in Scripture. And I would recommend the book of Habakkuk. It's where we are for these three weeks. It's a good choice. You can read it several times in a week. You can probably read it several times in a day because it's really small. And you can even begin to practice uh, studying it more in depth. It's a small book. You could read it through. You could spend some time studying it each day. If you ever need help with that because you don't know how to, you know, just don't know where to go with it, don't ever hesitate to contact one of us or contact your MC leader or whatever. Ask for help in studying the Bible. That's fine. But set some time aside for prayer and scripture and Bible study. I've included a few scriptures and questions in the bulletin, so I'd encourage you to grab one if you don't have one and take it with you to start praying and reading and thinking through. And then I'd encourage you to do this individually, but I also want you to talk it out with your family and talk it out in your missional community or with anybody you can connect with here at church. And if you're not connected with anybody at church, feel free to connect with me or connect with somebody today. Um, and we can just we can go through questions or whatever. As you spend time in prayer and studying, I just want you to consider throughout the week how it is that you see God and understand his love for you, honestly. Just try to be honest about it. How do you see God's love for you? How do you understand how he loves you? And then I want you to consider Jesus and what it means that he came and died and rose again. How do you honestly believe that God loves you? What part do you think or, or have you thought that you play in his loving you? And what does the Bible actually tell you about how he loves you? How has Jesus demonstrated the way that our Father actually loves you? Just consider those questions. How do you, right now, believe that God loves you? What do you think that your part is in that? And what does the Bible actually say? And what has Jesus actually demonstrated about God's great love for you? And I hope you'll begin to consider what it would mean for you to submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus. Lastly, and then we're, gonna, we're actually going to show a video, and then we're going to do a time of response. But lastly, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you're not a Christian, I hope you've heard the good news today, that God loves you, that you were created to be in right relationship with him, and he's made a way, and there's nothing you can do to earn it, nothing you have to do to earn his love. He loves you. I'm telling you he loves you. And Jesus is the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the way. He came in passionate pursuit of each one of us and displayed his passionate, furious love for you. And I would invite you to come and step into a relationship with your Father. If you want, if you have more questions about that, grab somebody. We'll actually have some people in the back who can pray with you or who would love to talk with you about that or you can grab me or you can grab anybody else around you or, or that you know that might want to talk to you about that and we'd love to just walk you into a relationship with Jesus. Let's watch this short video and then uh, we'll, we'll enter into a time of response.
So I know that these TVs aren't like huge or anything, so if you couldn't see that, we'll share it on, on Facebook and on Twitter and all that so you can see it more. It's just like a little quick depiction of the vision of reaching the whole city and saturating our city with the gospel, right? And also you get like a nice view of my bald spot, so that's a bonus. Uh, you can watch that and make fun of it. Listen, we're going to move into a time of response, and as we move into a time of response, there's a few things that we do every week. Uh, one is that the band will come up and they'll play uh, a few more songs and just lead us in a time of worship and a time of reflection and a time of response to, to how Jesus loves us and how he's calling us to walk in his love and obedience and how he's calling us to submit all of our life to him because he's good and trustworthy. That's what I want you to reflect on. That's what we want you to respond to over the next few minutes. And then also we come and we take communion every Sunday. If you come down this this way, and you'll, there'll be people to serve on each side, and you can take the bread, and you dip it in the wine or the juice, and when you do that, we're, we're remembering Jesus' body and his blood that he gave for us as this, this proof of God's great love for us. And when we do it, we're saying we believe that it's true, we believe that he is who he said he is, that he's done what he said he would do, and that he loves us, and that he's changed everything in us, and that we have a life beyond our comprehension that he's opening our eyes to see differently and to see the way he sees and love the way he loves. And we know that we're forgetful people and we forget that all the time. And so when we come and we take, we're confessing it to one another and we're reminding one another of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So if you're a Christian, whether you're a member here or not, we would invite you to come and proclaim the good news together in, this, in, in communion. If you're, uh, if you're not a Christian, we would say, hey, listen, like I said, we're saying that we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And so don't come and take because that's, you can't say that. And we're not mad at you and we don't not like you. What we want is for you to hear what we are saying in our act of taking communion, of taking the bread and dipping in the wine and the juice and remembering Jesus Christ is our Savior. So we invite you to hear that. And we invite you to walk into a relationship with him. We invite you to accept that. And like I said, there'll be people available to pray with you. In the back, there'll be people with orange lanyards who can pray with you. Um, and then also during this time, we have uh, a basket in the back where you can give. And that's another act of worship. It's a place where we respond to God that he's given us everything. Everything that we have is his. And we are called to give it back to him and trust him with our whole life. Um, as, as members of Redemption Church, uh, we, we're called to do that together. And it supports the ministry here, obviously. But if you're not a member here, we're not calling you to 
going to do that, but it's just a time for us to respond together in that way. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll move into that. Uh, Father, I thank you again for this, this day. I thank you for uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ that you've gathered together. I thank you for each one in this room that you've gathered to hear the gospel. I pray that you would begin to saturate our hearts with the knowledge of your glory and change our hearts from a place of hurt and brokenness, from a place of protest and complaint to a place of praise and worship and adoration and just knowing that we are loved greatly by our Father. Lord, remind us that we are your children. Remind us that those here around us were created in your image. Give us eyes to see the way that you see. As we respond, Lord, I pray that you would Bring us in on the work that you're already doing, of saturating the whole city and the whole earth with your glory and your gospel. And I pray that you would do that first here in this place and in our hearts by saturating each one of us with the gospel. And that you'd bring us into community that would uh, continue to point one another to Christ and then go out and be pointing others to Christ together. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.